church if you're a small child and want to hang out in the uh, uh, go downstairs to the children's church this week. Yes, would be the time to go. Um, so uh, I, I uh, I'm going to give I'm going to give Adam a second to walk off, um, and I guess let's uh, let's pray in preparation for the message. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning and help us to um, just just to pray that as I as I preach your word that I would uh, be faithful to what the text says and what you have um, what you have uh, have for us Lord help me to just bring out the the treasures that are found in your word and, and share them with my children and I pray Lord that you would uh, give me grace that that I wouldn't um, just say the wrong things and I wouldn't allow myself to, to get in the way of your frustrating couple weeks, and um, and a lot of it centered around a car that broke down, I don't know, like six months ago. Um, anybody who's driven past my house, and, and apparently a lot of people have, because I've had strangers ask me if I finally got the car running, um, which I guess is one of the great joys of living in Big Sandy, uh, which is a little Sandy, I guess. Um, <laughs> But I I, uh, I spent my last couple weeks intently trying to get this dumb car running, and um, I I identified the problem correctly, and I I um, was clear on on what I was repairing, and I I set out to get the work done, and and once I had taken everything apart, which was months ago, actually in uh, December when I first took a crack at this thing, I had it apart. I, I diagnosed it, I put it back together, and I went and started, and it wouldn't start. I turned over and turned over and turned over and didn't do anything else. And and I was frustrated, and I tried again, and then it snowed, and I said, well, the heck with this. I'll do it on a day that gets warm. So flash forward to April, um, and I, I'm, I'm taking it apart and putting it back together, taking it apart and putting it back together, thinking that I had done something wrong because I had to set the timing and a bunch of other stuff. And and um, um, I finally got to this point that I was just enormously frustrated, and I started um, asking people questions. I bought a manual for the, co- for the car. Uh, you know, when a man reads the instructions, um, it, it's it's a sign that he's, he's really stumped. Um, and... and uh, the, there's there's kind of a basic thing that was going along with this. Um, it, I'm looking at this system, this collection of systems that is a car, right? And everything has to work the way it's supposed to work. And in the end, like, you sit down and you turn the key, and that's the ultimate test, isn't it? I mean, I can do as good a job um, of mechanicking as, as anybody else on the planet, but if the car don't start, it doesn't matter. I missed it. Right, um, and so I, I would come up with a theory as to what I did wrong, and I would test that theory, and in the end, um, it, it was it was not correct, and I did that over and over and over again, and and there's something to this this idea, and I we're gonna kind of trace this out, this trial and error, right, testing of a theory or trying something out and seeing how it plays out, and we're we're still in John. Um, and and I'll I'll uh, I, I want to just explain a couple things about about our background before we jump into this. 
um, one of the major themes of John, right, because John is sort of this masterful writer. Um, the Gospel of John is actually, when you take classes in seminary on the Bible, John is its own class, and its own terribly difficult class, actually, because John is written kind of at a next level. Um, he has themes, and he's got ideas, and he weaves it through. John died in the 90s. He was very old. He had years to work on this, and it, it's obvious when you read it that he's put a lot of time into it. Um, one of the major themes, and we haven't talked about this much at this point, but we're going to kind of kind of begin a series on this now, um, is, is trial and testing. And, and what we see is um, John uses a lot of language related to legal trial, right? Um, and sometimes that can be confusing and you can miss it if you're not looking for it. I, uh, as I was preparing for this message, I, I saw, um, saw a joke. A guy walks into a Pentecostal church and says to the pastor, I, I need prayer for my hearing. And the pastor grabs his head and prays for him and shakes him and prays hard and shakes him. And eventually, like, when he stops, he says, well, how's your hearing? He's like, I don't know. It's not until next week. Um, like, it, it, it's easy to miss some of this language because we don't always look for it. But in, in Greek, some of this stuff would be out there. I mean, it would be obvious because Greek is much more succinct language in many ways um, than English. And so, like, like, when we started John... We talked, we had all this stuff about witnesses, you know, John the Baptist testified about him, and, you know, you have all of these people who were brought out as, as giving testimony or, like, like offering their witness of who Jesus was, and Jesus explains himself to people over and over again, and we um, are introduced to the prosecutors early on, like in chapter 3, we, or, yeah, in chapter 3, we, we meet the prosecutors, the temple authorities. And they demand that Jesus give an account for himself, and he basically basically says, no, I'm not, you know, I don't need your approval, right? And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But, like, this major theme of trial takes place, and right here in chapter 5 is where, where John sort of shifts it into high gear, and we begin to see the charges brought forth, right? Because you can't have a trial if you don't have charges. Make sense? Um, and, and so we see where the charges are brought forth, and John presents a trial where he defends, well, actually, he gives Jesus' defense of himself, and he gives the accounts of other people in defending themselves. And as we get into it, we've got to talk about Sabbath for just a second. Last week, we talked about the healing of the paraplegic, and it was done on the Sabbath. And Jesus, in theory, if you read Jewish law right, you committed a crime. And they, the Jewish authorities decided he had committed a crime, um, and they decided they were going to go after him. Right, which is what we're going to be doing here. And they asked the guy who he healed, hey, who healed you? And they're like, I don't know. I didn't bother talking to him. He healed me. I left. Or he left, and then I left. Um, um, but Jesus also told the man, pick up your mat and leave. And they were mad about that because you can't carry your bedroll around if it's outside your house on the Sabbath. The, the Jewish people, their Sabbath laws, they had, and I, I read it a week ago, remember the exact number, it's something like 63 separate types of work that can take place on the Sabbath, right? And and they have it all nailed down to like really specifics, and if you work on the Sabbath, you could be executed. You know, they would drag you out of town and slowly rock you to sleep with boulders. Um, but, but um, um, you know, the, all of these works, and it became oppressive and crushing eventually, like, like, and people were afraid of these authorities. I mean, they were afraid. We read about, like in chapter 3, we read about Nicodemus, who 
with one of the Pharisees, and he was with one of these guys. But when he met with Jesus, he did it at night because it's like, oh, can't, can't meet publicly with this guy because then the other Pharisees and the Sadducees, they'll get me. And so he had to meet with him privately because Jesus was controversial. Out of the gate, he was controversial. And a big chunk of that came out of his unwillingness to let the authorities endorse him. They, they you know, kind of, they didn't like him, but they didn't like him in a large part because he wasn't one of them. And so they fought him repeatedly over that. So as we kind of get into it, we're going to dive into, we're doing like four verses today. So it should only be a 45-minute sermon. I'm only 10 minutes in. <laughs> that is awful. Uh, just 15 and 16. Um, 15 is from last week. I just wanted to like offer it as some context. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So Jesus finds the guy in the temple, has a conversation with him, and then he goes and like rolls on Jesus, like goes and tells on him because he is really grateful for being healed. Um, <laughs> he goes, tell the cops. Um, so Jesus meets him, and the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So Jesus heals a guy on the Sabbath. Everybody with me? Like a man who'd been lame for 30-plus years, not been able to get up and walk around, a paraplegic. Jesus comes along and heals him on the Sabbath. And their response was, hey, a miraculous healing? Did you do that on the wrong day? See a problem here? These are guys who miss the point entirely. They're saying, wow, God worked, but you worked on the wrong day, so it must be not from God. What? But they were so set in the way they were doing things, they had no interest in what the truth of the matter was. They were more interested in getting after him for not obeying the law perfectly, their version of the law. Um, and there's a whole conversation about that. Um, and Jesus' answer um, by the way, we don't have a specific instance in which Jesus had this conversation. John doesn't explain, oh, this happened at this time or in this place. The assumption is that some Pharisees or some Sadducees or some temple authorities came and called him out, and Jesus responded. If I can get my slides, you can go forward. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. rabbi has been arguing for a very long time about the Sabbath, and that's actually how they ended up with 50 plus categories of work that you can't do on the Sabbath, and that's how they came up with the idea that like obeying the Sabbath perfectly was more important than anything else, and that's how they, I mean, there are all these things that they had come up with, and actually if you're interested, there's a book called the Talmud, it's actually two books glued together, um, and, and it has all of these arguments, you can sit down and read them if you need something to help you sleep. Because um, it, it can be very dry, but there's actually a lot of really cool stuff in it. Anyway, um, one of the arguments it had was, does God obey the Sabbath, right? And God created the Ten Commandments, which is God's moral law. Let's assume that God obeys the Ten Commandments or that, like, the Ten Commandments are universally good. And so they say, well, wait a minute. Does that mean God never works on Saturdays? Because Sabbath is Saturday, by the way. We worship on Sunday for a whole host of reasons, most of which has to do with Jesus having risen from the dead on a Sunday. So we worship on the Lord's day, right? And also because early Christians would worship in the synagogues, and the synagogues got pretty nasty to Christians, and so they said, well, fine, we're just not going to show up on Saturday, and we'll do it on Sunday. Take that. 
and that's what they did. And Paul talks about it in one of his letters. We were not, that, that was a rabbit trail. Thanks, John. There's an image in my head. Um, so the discussion was, well, does God work on Sunday, on Saturday? Does God work? Well, in creation, he stopped working on Saturday, but did God really stop working? And the assumption was like, well, look, if God makes the universe operate and he holds it in existence, if he stops doing that, everything stops, like including existence, like like time and space and everything that we really enjoy. I like time and I like space. I like existence um, requires God's hand in different place. Right. There are laws that God set into motion that govern all of that. But in order for the creation to continue to exist, God's got to have his hand on it. And you say, well, wait a minute, does that mean that God stopped holding creation in existence on that day? And does it mean that, like, on Saturdays, God doesn't watch over it? Like, if I pray on Saturday, does God stop listening? Like, am I, am I leaving messages on God's holy answering machine? They just shove the answering machines in the Talmud? <laughs> I'm kidding. That's Anyway, um, and so they, they had these years and years of arguments, and the assumption was, Yes, God works on the Sabbath. That was what they came up with. God works on the Sabbath, but he's God, so he can't. Right? So Jesus comes along, and his response is, my father is working until now, and I am working. So he's saying, hey, my father works on the Sabbath, and so do I. What has he just done? Well, he's taken himself, and he said, God has prerogative, and I got the say in why. Now, I can explain this. My daughter came to me recently, and she explained to me that the way that the house should operate, our home, is when she wants something, she should get it. And that when she disagrees with the rule, the rule should change for her. Do you think that flew? No. And why did it not fly? Because she is not, she's not dad. I set the rules, right? She obeys the rules, or... Uh, leave that alone for now Um, when she is a parent she can set her own rules right anybody ever say that to your kids I'll tell you what you pay your own electric bill make your own rules till then you're on my you're on my rules and Jesus comes along and he basically says hey the father's working and I'm obeying his rule he is elevating himself to a different level Jews commonly referred to God as father it was actually a fairly you know common thing to do but when jesus did did it and part of the reason people didn't like jesus as an authority is that jesus would talk about god as father in a very familiar way does that make sense um it's a little like you go into the south and folks call you sweetheart or honey right like if if there's a difference between saying sweetheart and honey to a stranger in in a diner versus saying it to your spouse like jesus took a familiarity and then beyond the familiarity, he puts himself on God's level. Now, he has now broken a second law for the Jewish people, although he's broken it in spirit rather than in, like, specifics. Because for most Jews, there's this thing called blasphemy. We actually have it, too. Blasphemy of taking God's name in vain, like saying, well, God said this when he didn't, or God told me this when he didn't, or using God's name too loosely, like swear or whatever. Like, there are all these things that are blasphemy, but the Jewish people had never figured out that making yourself equal with God was definitely blasphemy, but they knew it was. Make sense? So if I were to stand up here and say, you know, I'm on the same level as God the Father, 
I would be in trouble. You guys would probably fire me, and you'd be right to do so, right? Because that would be horrible um, and offensive and everything else. Here's basically did that. Just in covering God's level. And they get mad, and their response is, um, and this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was breaking the law, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So instead of just referring to God as father, he says, God is my father, and therefore I am on his level. Now, there's a C.S. Lewis moment here. I love C.S. Lewis, right? And there, there's a whole bunch of these arguments that C.S. Lewis does where he'll, he'll lay out sort of a logical end of it. He'll say either this or this, right? And he's, he's a guy who used logic like a bat <laughs> um, or a scalpel. In this case, Jesus is maybe committing blasphemy unless what he's saying is true, right? And so he is either doing something horrible or he is stating a truth. Now, this is where the trial part comes in, right? Because basically from this point forward for the rest of the chapter, we see where the book evaluates this claim. Is it true or is it not? And Jesus testifies about it, and he argues about it, and there's all this dispute about whether or not Jesus is on the same level with God. And the whole book is basically like this trial. The preliminary happens in the first half, and then the second half is them actually just arresting him or putting him on trial and executing him. And so, like, from this point forward, we see the trial playing out. And the trial comes down to what do the Jewish authorities think is true about Jesus? And there's an irony, right? My daughter, gosh, I'm so glad she's not up here. Um, and I hope she never listens to me because I'm going to gonna have to talk in therapy about this in years to come. We were walking across town about a month ago, and I told her, hey, you know, I, she wanted to walk by herself, and I finally was just wandering around, running in the street and everything else. I said, all right, you need to come hold my hand. And she got mad because she wanted her freedom. And she said, why do I have to hold your hand? She got mad and made her fist and yelled at me, why do I have to hold my, your hand? Why do I have to? And I said, because, I'm, because you're not listening, right? She turns around. Anybody want to guess what she said? You're not listening. Now, every once in a while, my daughter passes judgment on me. How effective is that? You can judge me all she wants, <laughs> but it doesn't change. It doesn't change anything, right? You can't judge. I mean, I'm dad. You know, I distribute punishment. I, you know, give freedom. You know, I feed her. Heck, I mean, you know, I, I have absolute control. In the end, the Jewish authorities are putting Jesus on trial, and they're starting right here. These are the charges. He works on the Sabbath just like God, and he makes himself equal with God, and those are the problems. And they think they're putting him on trial. They think we're going to bring him out and make him testify, and then we're going to execute him because he's a bad guy. But can any man put God on trial? try. I, uh, I met a fella years and years ago when I was working in uh, Chicago um, in college, and this fella, he talked to me about why God was evil. He was an atheist, and he was very angry, and he told me that, God, you know, well, he doesn't exist, and if I ever come face to face to him, I'm going to demand you give me an account for the following things. 
well, good luck with that. Because <laughs> he knew God, and if he's there, God doesn't really have to give an account of himself. Because he's God, right? He's got his big, and he's strong, and he's powerful, and he's got a great deal of authority. He can do as he wishes. In this case, by the way, Jesus is in this world, um, so he can go on trial, so he can be executed, so he can take on punishment for us. And so, like, like all of this trial thing builds up to Jesus is going to die for our sins. He's going to die so that I don't have to answer for the wicked things I do. And so that not only do I not have to answer because I'll be forgiven and he's not punished, but I become a new creation, right? And I become more and more like him as I draw closer to him. And I'm suddenly able to, like, be better at resisting sin. Don't believe we're ever going to hit a point where we no longer sin. I, some folks consider that controversial. I, I, would, I would love to discuss it sometime. Um, but, like, Jesus enables us to overcome and he makes us whole right so like you have this whole thing that jesus is doing but they think they're putting him on trial in reality they're the ones who are about to be on trial right because if they bring out the son of god and they say son of god we reject everything you have to say and we're going to punish you basically like they've been tried regarding their willingness to accept god's truth and God's representative, his son. They're on trial as to their response to him, and their failure to accept the Messiah, and their failure to engage with him is a judgment against them. There's a great irony in the book, right? Because my daughter, and again, I want to come back around to this, my daughter may stand there and yell at me, but in the end, like, she's going to get in trouble for yelling at me, right? She may think she's judging me, but she's bringing something on her own, Backside usually, um, <laughs> that 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 you know is the contrary of what she thinks is going to happen. She may yell at me and get her way. She can yell at me and go to her room. She can yell at me and get in trouble. She can yell at me and be sorry she did shortly thereafter. And in this case, you see where the Jewish authorities are standing there, and they are judging Jesus. And that judgment they cast against him is a judgment back on themselves. Um, why is this a big deal? Um, for starters, when John wrote this gospel, um, the church was under trial. And it was a trial that was in a bunch of different aspects of their lives. People were having their property taken from them for being Christians. There's actually in the first century, toward the end of the first century, the, the official Roman like standard on Jewish people or on Christians was um, yeah, if somebody accuses somebody of being a Christian, they need to prove that they're not. If they, you know, if they don't want to do that, they can renounce that they, you know, this Jesus person. And if they won't do that, just take all their property away. And it had become a very popular thing to do, to find Christians and, and um, accuse them. Because if you accuse somebody and they took their property away, who got it? The accuser. And so, like, it was a very lucrative business. You could go out and accuse Christians and get a business out of the deal. Or a new house. Or, you know, all kinds of other money and everything else. Like, it was great. And so Christians were being tried, but also this is these earliest stages where people are coming along and they're saying, well, can you explain this Jesus person to me and tell me who he really is? And like we have the first apologist, the word apologetics means to offer a defense of, right? And you got the first guys who wrote books saying Jesus was really the son of God and they argued it out. 
there's actually um, a source in the Roman era where, where this guy says, hey, if you go check these records, you'll see a record in the Roman archives of Jesus being crucified under Pilate. Like, this is actually in our record. There's proof for this statement. We know that because one of these guys argued it and argued it to the, to the Senate or to the leaders. They actually went out and they offered him a defense. And so, like, they were under this trial. The trial was they were being abused, right? There was a difficulty. Um, the trial was the validity of their claim was being tested. And there's actually a third part. People were watching their behavior, right? They were watching their behavior, and they were evaluating them based on it. There are a lot of attacks on Christians in the first century because um, they called each other brother and sister, right? You know, brother and sister. And so the assumption was if a man calls his wife sister, wait a minute, we don't marry our siblings. And so they would renounce them. <laughs> you know, and they would meet together in big groups, and they assumed they were doing immoral things behind closed doors. And they would do this, and they would do that. They would eat his body and drink his blood. They're cannibals, you know, and so they were attacking him for that. And then when they were dragging him out and killing him, these guys were going along and singing songs while they were being fed to wild animals and tortured. What? They were praying for folks who mistreated them. What do you do with that guy? They were, you know, oh, file a lawsuit against you, you know, and take your shirt away. Well, here's my coat. You know, like people were responding in a way that was entirely other than what folks expected. And it resulted in something crazy happening, right? The, there's a, uh, a quote, you know, the growth of the church is always watered with the blood of martyrs. Um, because wherever the church is persecuted and Christians respond as Christians in a Christ-like way, loving folks who mistreat them, um, blessing folks who curse them, uh, being moral when it would be easy to be immoral, like all of these things attract folks to us. And that is a trial that we all face. That is a trial that the early church faced. It's a trial that we face. Um, and this is something Jesus promised was coming. This is actually in John because John is driving this theme of, of persecution and trial home. Um, no servant is greater than his master. This is 1520. Um, if they persecute me, they will persecute you also. Actually, if you read three or four verses past that, it's in the weekly readings this week. There's a whole lot more on this topic. If we see Christ, um, we shouldn't be surprised when we're tried. Um, we shouldn't be surprised when people do some pretty nasty things to Christians. We shouldn't be surprised when being a Christian is the most popular thing in the world. We shouldn't be surprised when life is hard. Which is funny, actually, if you read much of Christian media, there's outrage and shock. You're like, wait, wait a minute, where did this come from? Oh, no, it was always supposed to be that way. Like, people will test the message of Jesus, and they'll, they'll make those assumptions. Sometimes it means persecution. Sometimes it means that folks will come along in the church and do crazy things. John is also fighting against that in um, Pharisees. And they'll put Jesus on trial. Got him the docs, which is a great book, by the way, if you want to check. I highly recommend it. Um, there's this irony. As people try us, as they try the statements of Jesus, as they, as they try our morality, as they try our lives, they're putting themselves on trial. Because ultimately, when people are judged, they'll be judged for what they did to Jesus. We do believe him. We do follow him. We do obey him. We do view him. That's the message of the Gospel of John. What really matters is, what are you doing with Jesus? Are you following him? Are you forgiven by his grace? Are you like coming under his lordship like you can call jesus lord but if he's not actually the boss then he's not the boss right like you either follow him and live your life or you you don't and it's a little like my car right stick the key in and turn the 
either starts or it don't, right? Um, and there's this trial that will take place, and it's taking place more and more so now. Um, it's taking place in our own homes. This is a crazy thing. I realized this as I was writing this message, as I was praying about it. Um, gentlemen, everybody else is going to stop paying attention if you haven't already, but men, listen, men, your kids will watch you. Do you understand me? Your children will watch you. They will watch you, and they will watch how you follow Jesus. They will watch how you act in relation to Jesus, and they will judge Jesus according to how you carry it. That's hard, isn't it? How many times, though, have you ever, like, I've heard it, I guess maybe you all have, and I've heard teenagers say, you know what, I, I grew up and my dad said this is what he believed, but here's how he acted, and this is how he treated us, and this is his attitude, and you know, you can say all you want, but I know what the truth is, and I'm going to reject what he is because because of faith. Um, your wives, gentlemen, as you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, right? You should treat your wife in a Christ-like way. That means loving her. That means um, taking care of her needs. That means sacrificing yourself. And ultimately, your wife has the opportunity to look at you and judge you later. And like, like you will impact her spiritual life. Um, as men, when you get married, you have a responsibility to take on this role. Isn't that tough? Golly, I don't have to do anything else, everything else, right? I've got to be Jesus, too. Um, but he helps us. Um, all right, so there are four areas of focus here, and I'm going to kind of work through this. Um, I'm getting away from my outline. I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to repeat myself, I promise. Because <laughs> that was a rabbit trail, whole rabbit trail. Um, the four areas where trial is going to be faced by us. First off is in our unity. This is actually from the Gospel of John, John 13. It's a great book written by Francis Schaeffer. Um, I was going to bring my copy and loan it out. If you want to read it, ask me, and I will, I will loan it to you. It's about 60 pages long, right? The Mark book is here. And one of the things he talks about is this John 13 passage. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another, meaning like so Jesus loved his followers and we're supposed to love each other. By this all people will know you are my disciples if you are loved if you have loved one another. There is a legal tone to what he says here, meaning the world will judge you based on how you love each other. Everybody with me? People will look at how you treat your brother and sister in Christ and they will know things about Jesus. They will judge us, they will judge the church, they will judge they'll judge you based on how we act toward each other. Anybody know somebody who does not go to church now because, or is not associated with the body of Christ now because they've watched so much fighting happen in churches? It's like four of us. <laughs> um, this is the truth. I worked for a church that fought constantly, and I watched people fall away from following Jesus because they just said, you know what? If these people are going to fight this way, I could do this at home, Right? People will judge the church, and they will be impacted for eternity based on how you interact. And so our job is to love one another. Our job is to, like, spend time with one another. Our job is to not trash each other and not be nasty to each other. It's to be family together um, and not dysfunctional family. Anybody? <laughs> um, the evidence for our claims. There will be people who will ask you, well, how do you know that this Jesus person is real? There are libraries of books written about this. Um, if you do not know how to answer somebody, how do I know Jesus is a real man? 
there is no end to the resources the Corps of Engineers has. Um, if you're interested, if you can sit there and say, well, how do I know what is and even like Benny said, you know, how do I know who was working with this? How do I know, uh, talk to me and I will give you books about it. In fact, I'm gonna put some books about it out to loan out here in the near future. Um, another area of trial um, is I'll measure up. Um, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor and I gossip about everybody near me, what are folks gonna know about me? I'm a gossip. If I say I'm following this Christian standard and I don't manage to obey any of like rules of thinking, you know, people figure out like, oh, who's that guy who's looking at the internet, the fun sites on the internet? You know, or man, this, this sexual like thing in his life is all messed up or um, you know, he mistreats his kids or he fights with his wife constantly or he is, is greedy or he doesn't think, I mean like, like people will judge us based on the settings in our own eyes. It always drives me nuts when I read about a preacher who spends his whole career preaching against the sin and he's then caught doing it. How many people judge your church based on the hypocrisy in it? Um, we can counteract that. We can counteract that by following Jesus properly and with truth in front of folks because you're on trial. People are watching. They're measuring Jesus based on you. And if they watch you and they watch you be a hypocrite, guess what they're going to do? They're going to find something else to do, right? Corinthians coming up. I can do that on Sunday instead, right? Um, that was horrible. I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry. That was wrong. Um, but people will watch with a slant in their eye. They'll, that was just Corinthians, right? Don't pull the speck of sawdust out of your neighbor's eye when you got a two-by-four coming out of yours. You know, <laughs> stinks. And that means that we have to constantly evaluate ourselves. We have to constantly back up and say, am I right here? Am I doing the right thing? We have to pray and ask. We have to find people who are spiritually mature to walk with us and help us do that. So we have a spiritual ma spiritually mature person who can step in and say, hey, here's where you're sinning, man. Like, you got to get this right. Here's where you're struggling. Here's where you could probably improve. Here's what you need to do. Um, if you have a relationship with that, like that, you're blessed. If you don't, you're not. People all around you who are mature and can do this. And then, like, the world will judge you by this. Like, and in the end, this judgment, like, will be powerless to undo the brilliance of what matters. But we're going to affect it. If you sat in a courtroom and gave an account for yourself and you did a bad job and you didn't tell the whole truth, like then it's your fault if it comes out wrong, isn't it? I mean, I, I had to go to traffic court a while ago. I was pulled over when Jeff was in labor with Titus and I got a ticket and I didn't really talk about it. I just kind of owned it and oh, give me my ticket, I'm in a hurry, right? I could have said, hey, my wife's in labor. You wanna give me a pass here? I had a good reason to speed. I didn't say any of that, it's my own fault I got the ticket. My own fault I didn't respond well. Uh, but in this case, the world will be judged based on how you respond, how you act, how you live, how you present yourself. Um, do you love each other? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you showing the, like who Jesus is and who you are? And can you give a good return? It's not a small deal. This is a huge deal. Um, there's a trial that you might face, and honestly, it's a trial that we face. We could complain about it, but he went through it too. And if he's our master, if he's the boss, right? I get to walk through that too, and I can't complain that I'm getting because I get to know him better by going through it. Um, so here's my question. Like, when folks look at you, what do they see? Do people see Jesus by looking at you? I mean, do people see you like Jesus is teaching by looking at you? Do people 
interact with you and walk away like there was a bad smell in the air? You know folks like that? You know, you see them coming, it's like, oh my gosh. I'm pretty sure I got to go turn the lights off and lay on the floor for a while when I'm coming in the front door. Um, <laughs> I, oh my gosh, caller ID, I, I could use some assistance, right? Oh, you can't start in on me. I don't want to hear it. Um, I don't want to hear about how great you are and how awful, you know, all the things that you're like. It's like, in reality, like, when people look at you, do they see you? Do they know that you, do they experience God's grace and love through you? Or do they experience more of the same? And some of y'all know folks, and some of y'all actually have grown up in homes with nasty people who mistreat you based on Jesus, right? And some of us have judged you for your bank status. Oh, man, that guy's a dick. I don't want to be like him. Um, like, are we presenting an accurate, are you presenting an accurate Christianity? I mean, what's your biggest area of growth? Like, is this something, you know, well, I know I follow Jesus, but I, I don't know much about him. I, I know I follow Jesus, but this area doesn't count for me. Anybody have those, by the way? I know I follow Jesus, but, man, my wife is rude today. I think I'm going to hold it against her for a while. You know, man, I follow Jesus, but it's so much easier to, like, choose to do the wrong thing. Um, my challenge to you this week is to ask those questions of God. Um, when you turn the key, is it start? You know, when, when people look at you, are they seeing something real? Or are they seeing, like, my Taurus up on blocks in the front yard? Um, for some of y'all, you're listening to me, and this is kind of poking at you, right? When I finally got the stupid car garage, there was a button I had to press in the trunk to send the fuel tank out. How dumb is that? I didn't even know the button existed. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> bunch of people I talked to didn't know. Terry didn't know either, so he's just on the same level as me, and the book didn't mention it. Um, but in reality, like, this thing had to happen. If there are areas in your life where, like, the motor ain't running, and you're not reflecting Jesus, and you're not following him, there's stuff that's just not hitting the road right. Figure it out first. Ask the people around you, how am I doing today? It was the hardest question I ever asked my wife. How am I doing? acting like Jesus? What else could I do? Am I loving you the way I'm supposed to? What else could I do? Am I doing right with the kids? What else could I do? Um, I ask the elders at the end of every meeting, right? What can I do better, guys? Because accountability is how we get there. Um, that's all I have to say, guys. We're going to pray, and we're going to go out, and we're going to just show Jesus to the world the way he really is. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning just to be like, help us to be people who, who reflect your love and your grace that comes from Jesus. Help us to be who we really become what we are meant to be. Lord God, I pray that when folks see us, they would be moved. That when folks see us, they would be um, moved to be more like you, moved to follow you. close with a blessing and a final thought 20 some odd years ago I, I started going to church and I, I didn't know anything about God I didn't know anything about Jesus I didn't know anything about the Bible I didn't know anything about anything and I, I started going to church because I was invited to a picnic where they played volleyball and I, I was a dorky junior high kid who had no coordination and even less social grace and fortunately most of that's changed 
I met that coach was different than anybody I'd met anywhere else in my life. And like, I realized years and years later that they were just going through me. Um, and them showing me here at a picnic playing volleyball changed my life. Question here, folks, your blessing. Or my blessing to you, like, may the God of grace, may the God who sent his son to die for me, may the God who loved me even when we were his most unlovable, may that God make you into a person who shows you and for the rest of your time walking on this earth, it is your day. I don't know what that is, but I want it.